0: This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. You're listening to the Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. I'm here with Brian Worsdell. I'm Jim Cunningham, by the way, and it is a real pleasure to see you, Brian. Welcome back.
1: It is so great to be back in this building, Jim, and, and back to talk
0: about one of my favorite things, which is education and young people in music the music director of the Three Rivers Young People's Orchestra. You have a holiday concert, a winter concert on the way. What are you calling this one? Well, we have our,
1: our theme every year. We try to find something that connects the children educationally and artistically to some sort of thing that brings them together. And this year, we're celebrating Music the Americas, so music from uh, our indigenous peoples, from Latin America, and from the United States, and trying to give our students a chance to explore different repertoire. So we have our winter concert on Monday at Carnegie Music Hall, December 5th.
0: And you're back at Carnegie Music Hall
1: in Oakland. We're back in Carnegie. It's our first Carnegie Music Hall concert. We were very fortunate to do our big We're Back concert back in May at Heinz Hall, which was a big deal because it celebrated all of our ensembles, kind of introduced our new symphonette conductor Uh, one of the first live performances of our new wind symphony conductor. So it was a wonderful opportunity to bring everyone together again. And then, of course, from there we went on to Carnegie Hall. But this is our first return to this beautiful hall that I had the privilege of doing my first concert with Tripo in four years ago.
0: It has a nicer lobby than the Carnegie Hall in New York. (laughs)
1: It's a gorgeous lobby. It's, It's a beautiful, beautiful space. I've been there a couple of times this year listening to my colleagues at Duquesne University, and just hearing what they've been doing there. So.
0: Now, what's the plan? Is everybody that was involved in May going to be involved in this concert?
1: Well, we've actually decided to try a couple of different formats. We've One of the things that we've learned from the pandemic is, you know, what we want to bring to our audience and to our families and to our students. So what right now, for Monday's concert, we're featuring our symphonette and our YPO, which is our traditional format for our Carnegie Music Hall concert, and that will mean Pierce Cook leading Symphonette and myself with the YPO. Then in January, there'll be a performance of our Wind Symphony, which we can talk about more. I'm hoping to bring back um, Rob Traw, who is a noted composer here in Pittsburgh, professor of composition at Duquesne, but is also our Wind Symphony director. But they're going to be doing a performance in January. Uh, and Symphonette actually is going to be on the road. They're going to go up to the north... Uh, Block Mall uh, up in McCandless, and they're going to perform a little holiday thing on Saturday, December 17th at 11 a.m. as well. So we're we're trying to get into the spirit of the season, but also give people a just a taste of what's in store for the rest of the year. So we're very
0: excited. I was so impressed with everybody that I heard and met in May. Pierce Cook's an amazing guy.
1: He really is. And one of the most important decisions to make uh, that, that I started in my tenure was when Andrew Wickersburg, who did such a wonderful job leading our symphonette, a member of the Pittsburgh Symphony, clearly the commitment from the symphony to young people is shown, not just from all the coaches that we had, but the fact that, that Andrew, during the pandemic, when he had already planned to step aside, stuck with us through that year until we could find someone that could You know, shepherd us through back-in-person programming. So that was one of the first big decisions I had to make as a music director was to find someone who would continue the work that Andrew had established and done such a wonderful job doing, but also brought their own take to it. And Pierce clearly does that. He has a great rapport with his students in the Mount Lebanon School District at Mellon Middle School and um, a great addition to our staff.
0: More about the music you're going to hear.
1: Well, we're doing, again, because of the theme, we're working on in YPO and in in the orchestra that I have the honor to lead, we'll be doing Manuel de Faya's Three-Cornered Hat Suite. We'll also be doing the Copeland Four Dances from Rodeo, uh, Marquez's Danzón Number 2, always a popular encore piece and piece for the kids to do. What I'm really excited about on top of those three pieces are two other works we're doing that feature our brass and our strings. First, with our brass is Anthony Barfield's Invictus. Anthony is a composer based out of New York City, and was inspired to write Invictus during the pandemic, when we were in lockdown. And what he did was he invited all the leading players from all the Lincoln Center constituent groups—Lincoln Center Theater, the New York Philharmonic, the Metropolitan Opera—and he wrote a piece for brass ensemble called Invictus. We'll actually—we were hoping to have Anthony with us. Uh, Unfortunately, he's not available to be with us. But Chad Winkler from the PSO is actually going to conduct that work, which we're really excited about. The string work we're doing is Jesse Montgomery's Starburst. And the Pittsburgh residents had a chance to sample that piece with the Pittsburgh Symphony playing the large orchestra version. We're actually going to do it in its original form. Jesse had written it originally for string orchestra. And we're going to do the string orchestra version, which will feature our strings which, you know, they work really hard, and they because of our symphonette and the fact that we tier our ensembles, that is something that uh, is very special. And uh, with our symphonette, there's a piece by Adrian Gordon, there's a piece by Benjamin Britten, and a number of other pieces. Mark O'Connor is featured on that program. So we have a lot of music that takes care of the American uh, diaspora of, of the, both continents, North and South America. So we're excited about that.
0: So it's an opportunity to hear some music you might not have heard before.
1: That's what I like about what we do with young people. You know, it's, it's always important to teach them the three Bs, as people like to talk about. But it's also great to explore repertoire that they don't always get to hear. You know, the, the Defia does not get performed in the professional sphere as much unless it's a tour piece, one of the things I used to hear all the time from coaches when I was living in New York was when we would program a piece like Les Preludes or the, the three-cornered hat, because of the length of the piece, it wouldn't necessarily go on a subscription concert. It could be an encore. It could be a travel piece. but it, Or it would be a recording piece, but not necessarily something that would always be on a subscription. So getting to hear that is is special. Getting to hear Copeland's all four movements, everyone knows the hoedown. Everybody enjoys the hoedown, whether it's been on commercial television or not. But to hear all four movements of that work, um, there's a the the funny thing is the Buckaroo Holiday, which is a fun fun rollick through uh, this ballet, um, is so it's so uniquely Copeland, even though it's Americana. And of what what a great thing that this young man from this young Jewish man from Brooklyn could totally capture the American, you know, Southwest and and West. With his, with his painting of his musical colors. It's just a great opportunity for the kids to explore that repertoire.
0: You mentioned Chad Winkler, trumpet with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. Tell me about your coaches and the people that help you with the young musicians.
1: I have to say that for a youth orchestra program in the United States, it's we're quite spoiled here in Pittsburgh to have so many members of the professional music world, whether they're in the Pittsburgh Symphony or Pittsburgh Opera or Pittsburgh Musical Theater. But the... the commitment to education from these people are manifold and the fact is all of our coaches play in one of those constituent ensembles and they are very committed to what they do and i can go through a whole list i mean but i i will i will say that the our core coaches for both symphonet and for YPO. And as we build our Wind Symphony, we're building core coaches, but it's taking some time because the Wind Symphony is a new ensemble with our organization. But you know those core coaches, they work with our kids at least seven to eight times during the course of the school year. And then w- twice a year with the YPO, we then go all out and we do a playing coach where we have a total of 15 members of, of those organizations. Do individual coachings, so we have a flute coach, an oboe coach, et cetera, all the way down the line into the percussion. But there are those people who are part of our core family that spend months with our kids, and they'll just pop into a rehearsal. They'll just come in and see what's going on, and they, you know, just because they happen to be in the building, and that that is unique in the world of professional orchestras and youth orchestras.
0: Sounds like the Three Rivers Young People's Orchestra has come through the pandemic pretty strong.
1: I have to tell you that one of the hardest things to do was to look at the children through a screen every week, but it's something that we were committed to. One of the things that we did once the pandemic hit and we had to pivot, and that word was used by so many different people, but the pivoting meant that we were doing in-person programming with them every week where we all saw each other. We all made sure they were active. We would do different different projects, We would make recordings with them. We'd figure out all the different ways to keep them connected until we could figure out how to do it in person. And we were lucky enough to find this warehouse at the educational, the EIC building right by Duquesne, uh, an old trade school that's now become this huge. It was a 7,000-square-foot loft, and we were able to separate and be distanced and yet make music live. We rehearsed the orchestra in three groups, two string orchestras and winds, brass, and percussion, until the penultimate rehearsal where we put everyone back together again. And that was the hardest thing we did, but it was, chal- but we did that challenge because we did not want them to lose a single moment of music making. And we knew what the struggle was for teachers because teachers couldn't just rent a 7,000-square-foot f- loft, and they had to figure this out themselves in school buildings, some with a lot of support from their administration and their superintendents, and others where they just had to figure it out on their own and if we could be a small part of that success, and that's all, we, we're a small part of that. We're not there every day with those kids in the trenches, the teachers are. But the fact that we figured it out is why we were able to come out of it as strong as we did. As you heard in May from the orchestra, you know, we really dressed up that Capriccio espanol and, and took it. And when we took it on the road to Carnegie Hall, it was, it was like a homecoming for me to be able to show off that orchestra in New York City
0: you got to tell me about Carnegie Hall. I haven't talked to you since you went to New York City. Carnegie Hall with the well, Three Rivers Young People's Orchestra.
1: Well, you know, I have to say, and and, and while this is not a, a plug for what I do, but, you know, the other thing that I do is I run a performing arts camp in the Catskill Mountains of New York State, and we decided that we would bring them to there first so that we could have rehearsals with me, perform a, a, a send-off concert there for Seven hundred children and get them all excited about going to New York City. So we started off there, we took our symphonette down to a school, a Catholic school that I taught in in Brooklyn, and they played a concert there you know after a two-hour commute, played a concert, then got back on the buses, went into Manhattan, we did our sound check, and we we played a wonderful program. We were joined by two other really fantastic music programs. And we were just very impressed with both of their programs. And it was just a pleasure. There was a high school from California and a string orchestra from Alaska that had come all the way down to play this concert. So we were in good company at this program. And it was wonderful. We ended with the Pines of the Appian Way like we did at Heinz Hall. And we had a number of the Symphonette students that joined us, and we were very excited about
0: that. Wow. And you also got them to French Woods, right?
1: Yeah, they played there, which was great. They got to, they got to experience all the different fun summer camp activities. They got to go swimming. They got to experience circus. But on top of that, it gave us a, a time to rehearse together because I leave for my summer commitment in early June, and we couldn't just not rehearse before we played at Carnegie Hall. We needed to just rehearse and get to know each other again musically. So that gave us that opportunity. Uh, I will say that on the, as much as Carnegie Hall is a great experience, the most important experience for our students and for myself is the opportunity to work with the communities that we're in. And on the way out, we went to Staten Island, New York, to a middle school, that the music program was established by one of my mentors growing up mr lorenzano and we went to his school his old middle school on Staten Island, and we played a concert there with the ypo and it was special because it's a small auditorium it's a middle school auditorium the brass and the percussion and the winds were on this little stage and the strings all squeezed into the front and i'm standing on a box that was like just a Big black box that must have been used for a set or something but that's how we did that concert and we played for the entire school we played two sets for them and the principal of the school uh, and the band director who is a dear friend of mine both were floored you know the principal was like I had no idea what I was getting I thought I was going to have some youth orchestra come in and and it was going to be half the orchestra because they couldn't make the trip I did not know I was going to get such a great symphonic experience for my kids. His kids were so motivated. All the kids in the band program basically were asking Mr. Peters, the band director, you know, can we have a rehearsal? You know, that's how excited they were about it.
0: Wow. Yeah, I got you away from the principal topic, which is the concert. Have we mentioned all the bells and whistles of this concert? Are there any soloists or anything uh, special stage business that's going to happen? Well, no, actually. We're just
1: happy to be featuring the orchestras. We're really excited about just giving the orchestras their due, and that's what this program is. We have a concerto competition that will happen uh, uh, in the new year, and we will choose another student. Uh, It'll be the third um, concerto competition I've had the pleasure of actually conducting uh, with Tripo. Uh, The first one, wonderful flute soloist, uh, a student of Jenny Steele's, uh, last year was Becky Mack, a student of Max Blair's, and we'll see who the winner will be this year, and that'll give us that wonderful opportunity. And I, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, next season we will be featuring a piano soloist. We'll talk more about that, probably with him sitting by my side with you in this very room at some point. But we are excited about that, and we're just excited about all the different things in
0: store for the rest of the year. I enjoyed meeting Becky at the concert last May so much. And I see she's taking a gap year. She's being uh, an usher at Heinz Hall or something.
1: She's been committed to that. I have to say she's been committed to that since she was in high school. And, And there's a lot of students that do that, a lot of music students, whether they're in high school or in college. Every time I go to a concert at Heinz Hall, I will see somebody else from the halls of Duquesne, you know, where I now, you know, work. And so you know you see them and you go wait a second you were playing tuba in a rehearsal just a few hours ago that again it goes back to that commitment of pittsburgh being such a committed arts town and city yet it has a town feel you really do you, you this is like meredith wilson's dream come true you know you you've got a city over from for over a million and a half people but you still feel like you're in river city iowa when it comes to the fact that everyone cares about each other's pursuits and that and that includes the arts. And, you know, I did not get to come to the Thanksgiving. I was I was in New York visiting my family, but um just seeing the anvil, the Firefest and the yellow the terrible towel coming out in the middle of the Firefest, I saw it online and I'm like, you know, that's that's not something you see in many other places. So it's it's an exciting place to be and yes, when you see all those students uh, get that opportunity to be ushers. It's it's special. That doesn't happen at Lincoln Center. They don't allow student ushers at Lincoln Center. So at least they, they didn't during my time. They, maybe they do it now, but def, definitely didn't allow it back then.
0: You know. Now, I completely forgot about the connection to Duquesne. What are you doing there? I'm the adjunct professor
1: of conducting there. It, it gives me the opportunity to meet all the students because what's special about the Duquesne Music Department, uh, the School of Music, is that every student has to take a conducting class. Whether they're in the sound engineering major or they're a performance or education major, they have to take this basic conducting course. And conducting is not about just waving your hands around or interpreting a Rite of Spring score or, or Haydn or Mozart. Conducting is about life and leadership. You know, Standing up there and doing something outside of your comfort zone. Watching some of these students do that has been very special. And I was motivated to, you know, I'm very supported by the faculty there, but I was motivated by my own experience as a young conductor, as an apprentice, as someone who studied it as early as high school. It's one of the reasons why we established an apprentice program with Tripo was the opportunity to give young people that that chance. And as a matter of fact, to tell you that two or three now of our apprentice conductors went through our program at Tripo have won like the opportunity to conduct with PISO. And, and, uh, it, it's really cool to see that, that they, they took this little, this class that was just meant to take them out of their comfort zone just for a little bit. And then they took it and they took it to the next level. And that's a lot, that's a lot to be said. And then of course, there's an instrumental conducting course that I'll be working on. That's for performance and education majors. And that's, that's when you start getting into the nitty gritty because as a performer, you'll lead an ensemble, you know, just like any of our members of the PSO who work in a college that lead an ensemble. But then there's also the education, and Duquesne has a great education program, it always has. Even when I was in high school, the the, the education program at Duquesne was legendary, when you, when you wanted to pursue music ed, and to have that established there is is truly special.
0: So it's been an honor being there. Well, I know so much about the great work of. Duquesne music through the Three Rivers Young People's Orchestra and our family member, Young Jim the violist, was heavily involved in a lot of things that were related in one way or another to Duquesne. It is a great program, no question.
1: It was found, I mean, like the the first rehearsals of Tripo were at Duquesne University. Uh, Another small world that we live in, the founder of Tripo, well, one of the two founders, you had Phyllis Susan and you had Bernie Goldberg. Bernie Goldberg and I knew each other in New York City because he was the flute professor at Brooklyn College when I would go, when I was playing in the, in the college orchestra in the College Wind Ensemble and when I was conducting the College Wind Ensemble. And he would just sit into rehearsals with his students. He had such a great relationship with them. And he took that position, obviously, after he retired from the, the symphony and he went back to Brooklyn for a while and, and he was teaching there. And the sad part about that is that but, but he was pretty ill by the time I had applied for this job. So I didn't even get a chance to reach out to him and say to him, you know, Mr. Goldberg, I'm, I'm planning to apply for this job in Pittsburgh. I think you ran this orchestra. I never had a chance to have that conversation with him, but I know that he cared very deeply for this program, and that's why it was established. And, you know, again— not somebody who was trained as a conductor, one of the great principal flute players of a major American orchestra, and yet there he is leading a youth orchestra. And and if you look at the photos just from the website, historically, he had a blast doing it. It wasn't it wasn't a chore for him. It was a it
0: was a pleasure. No question about it. You're talking about somebody I love too, Bernard Goldberg and Phyllis Susan. I also knew a little bit. I actually spoke with her after she got the job at Carnegie Hall in New York as education chief there. Two amazing people that got your organization running. I knew her.
1: By her reputation at Carnegie Hall, growing up in New York, I knew that's how I knew her, and that's been you know, and that's something that you know because she worked with Judy Aaron, and uh, Judy Aaron was the the amazing executive director of Carnegie Hall, who we also lost tragically too too soon uh, to cancer, and um, but her son Eddie was a great cellist who. I knew from again growing up in youth orchestras. You know, you, even if you're not friends with people, you sit in the same ensemble with them, and you you have this like you understanding of of sometimes their parents are musicians, and sometimes they're not. And you then and, and but it's New York, so it's you never know who you're going to be sitting next to, you never know who you're going to be making music next to, and next thing you know, you're you're playing a concert with somebody, and their parent is at the concert, and their parent is some famous person, and you're like. No understanding of that. They're just musicians in the room creating art with you. So it's, it's always fun because you sit there and you go, oh, my God, you're so-and-so. But it's not really that. It's, it's about the people
0: you're making music next to. Brian Warsdale, what a joy to see you again. Thank you. Goodness, the pandemic will be a memory, a bad memory in the very near future. It's still around, I know, and it's still a worry, but it's gradually receding.
1: It's giving us a great opportunity to just see each other again and not through a computer screen or a telephone.
0: Bless you. Thanks for coming out. Thanks, Jim. This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.